0: We recognize uh, that on Mother's Day, uh, for every woman, it's not always a beautiful day. And uh, for some of you as moms, uh, your reality is that uh, today, you grieve a child. Uh, For others of you, you're like me, and uh, Mother's Day is a reminder that you don't have mom anymore. And my mom uh, passed away 29 years ago. I still miss her today and and then there are some of you that you have always longed to be a mother and it's just never happened and so we recognize uh, that today can be well there's some joy surrounding mother's day for a lot of people for some of you it's not and so one of the things the scriptures say is that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice but that we're also supposed to mourn with those who mourn and so I I wanted just at the beginning of, of the message to just pause for a moment and uh, just have a moment of mourning, if that would be okay. And we're going to pray and um, give our sadness that we feel right now, maybe some of us in the room, uh, to God. And then we're going to look at what we're going to look at today. Would you pause with me and pray? So, uh, God, I recognize the, the pain of this moment for a lot of us in the room, uh, that we miss our mom. Uh, we still grieve a child. Uh, a dream that we thought of a child has never come to reality, and so we don't always know what to do with that. Uh, we recognize that grief is uh, a painful part of life, and so we offer our grief to you right now. Thank you that this is not uh, this is not it. This is not the end. That we have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of heaven. And so I pray that right now, like you taught us to pray, Jesus, that your kingdom would come in this moment on earth as it is in heaven, that the hope and the beauty and the glory of what's to come would invade our moment right now of grief and give us hope. And so we grieve with those who are grieving, and we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And thank you that we get to be a part of both of those things. So we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We always read a passage of Scripture together, and uh, I'll read it aloud. On, it'll be on the screen, and uh, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but we're going to look at it in a little more detail today. Uh, this is a scene from the life of Jesus out of the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And I want you to read those last four words with me. Ready? As was his custom. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Well, what I'd like to do uh, today, as we're in this series called Boot Camp, is uh, I'd like, if I could, I'd just like to coach you. Um, coach you to a better a better life. Now we all need coaching. Coaching uh, basically is just input on how we're doing. A coach, if you've had a coach in any arena in any of your life, you know what one of the jobs of a coach is just to give you guidance uh, where, on where you are, but guidance on what you need to do next. And the job of a coach is to help you get better. And so this morning, if you would let me, I would really like, as your pastor, to uh, to give you some coaching on, on how you could have a better life, um, it's it's a weird being a pastor as a role as a job. Uh, when I meet people that I don't know, and you know the inevitable question is, "What do you do?" Uh, I get weird reactions. Any pastor will tell you this. I get weird reactions to the when I say that I'm a pastor. I'm I'm pretty skilled at avoiding that question for a while, but eventually you can't avoid it any longer. And so when someone says, hey, what do you do? And then I say, I'm a pastor. It's always one of two reactions. Oh, you're a pastor. And they tell me about it, they go to church. Or it's, oh, I'm sorry for what I said a minute ago. I apologize. <laughs> and then the conversation pretty much just shuts down, right? It's just It's weird. So I've, I've kind of always, I wish, because really when you're, you're pastoring people, you're, you're, um, you're kind of coaching people. And I wish I could change my job title to life coach. And so if you ever hear, uh, I am met your pastor. Uh, he said he was a life coach. You know, maybe, maybe I'm not going to actually say that. But that's kind of that's what it is. What I hope to do today is do just a bit of life coaching. I care about you and I, I want to help you get better. And so what I want to do is I want to coach you on a specific tool that we're going to look at here in just a minute. Uh, a tool that Christians have used for centuries. You may have never heard of it. That's Okay. Uh, it has been used for centuries, and uh, I want to coach you on how, how you can use it to get better. To get better. How many of you would like to get better? Okay. Half the crowd, the other half. Just here for mom. Okay, great. Here's the thing, first thing I want to coach you on, okay? I want to coach you on the importance of you taking action. A lot of people come into a room like this on a, a regular basis. Some people do it for years. They come into a room like this and And they go, I like that song, or I like that message, or that story was funny, or I like that thing they did with the video, wasn't that cool. And they walk out of the room and they never actually take action on the things that were said, because when you're following Jesus, what you're doing when you're following someone is you're taking action on what they say is best. And so the first thing I want to coach you on is the importance of taking action on what Jesus says is best. Now, there's a couple things that are at stake here, and, and they're really big things. The first one is about you, and it's about your own sense of integrity and your own sense of your faith. Because if you don't take action, what happens, and I, I, you can take this to the bank, is that if you don't put into practice what Jesus said, you will end up being inoculated against the real thing. Because here's what we all want, whether we get there or not is a different question. We all want to have an interactive relationship with God. In other words, that we really get the sense that we are hearing and responding to what God is saying to us, not in a weird way, but in the sense that Jesus said that we could begin to know the voice of God, the whispers to our heart and mind and soul through thoughts and words and conversations. Uh, We want to feel the love of God poured into our hearts, and then we want to love God in return so that it's a genuine thing for you to say, God, thank you that you love me. And and be able to say back as you pray uh, throughout your days to say, God, I love you and mean it. And then we want to be able to follow Jesus. We want the real, that's the real thing. See, this interactive relationship with God. That only comes, though, when you put into practice what Jesus said. Because if you don't, you become inoculated against the real thing. And what happens is you, you get in your mind a list of things that you think is required of you. Religious things. And so you check off the religious things. And you quit. And the reason that you quit is because you're just doing it because someone else said you ought to. It doesn't become something that you own inside. And so what what happens is the way of Jesus becomes like for you a bad diet. Maybe you've done this. uh, You've seen the infomercials for a diet or a a powder or a pill or an exercise program. And you watch it. Wow, that was great. I can look like him. Oh, that's awesome. And you you go, I'm going to try it. And so you buy the thing, and you, whatever it is, and you sign up for the class, or whatever the thing is, and you go through it, and you kind of half-heartedly do it, and then it doesn't work for you, or maybe it works for a little bit. You, you know how you get then jaded? And when people bring it up, you're like, bah, yeah, that's not that big a deal, it doesn't really work. That's what happens when you don't put into pra- actually put into practice what Jesus says is best. You become inoculated against the real thing, the genuine article, genuine Christianity thinking all the while that you've got the real thing, but you're just jaded and cynical because it didn't work for you, right? So at, at stake, if you don't take action, is your own sense of integrity and your own sense of your understanding of your faith. Now, the second thing that's at stake, though, if you don't take action, is how the people around you and their curiosity about Jesus based on the kind of life that you live. Now, this is an old saying. I grew up hearing this, and, but it's true. For some people, you are the only Jesus they will ever meet. You're the only Bible they'll ever read. And if they read your life, what would they get? I'm not saying it's all on you and and, and people's faith is on you. It's not on you. I'm just simply saying that you've got to be a living example. You don't have to be a perfect example, but you do need to be a living example because if someone decided that they, became a, they wanted to become a Christian and then they watched your life, would they know what to do? Would they know what to do next? That's what's at stake. And so I want you to take action, and the reason I want you to take action is because I want you to make progress. I want you to grow uh, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, "I'm gonna make some project. I'm gonna make some progress. Watch." If we were uh, if we were in the South, you might turn to your neighbor and say, "Hold my Coke. Watch this." Yeah, but we're not. We're not in the South. Um, here's here's the goal. Here's the goal. <laughs> The goal is that we would make progress. There's a guy named Benedict who lived several hundred years ago, named St. Benedict, and he wrote this thing called The Rule of St. Benedict. It was an attempt to take action on the words of Jesus, and in the introduction to his rule, uh, this is we'll talk about here in a second, he says this, beautiful words, as our lives and faith progress, the heart expands, and with the sweetness of love, we move down the paths of God's commandments. And that's beautiful. So the next thing that I I would coach you on uh, is the example uh, of Jesus and how Jesus ordered and structured his life. This scene from the Gospel of Luke when Jesus uh, basically goes to Sunday worship. This was Saturday worship because they were Jewish and they worshiped on the Sabbath on Saturday. Um, Luke ends and he says this two-word phrase, as was his custom. Um, that, That means his practice, his habit, his regular practice that he would engage in on a regular basis, his custom. One of his customs was he would go to corporate worship every week. Uh, but this is just, what Luke is saying is not just that that was only his custom, but that he had, his whole life was ordered according to his practices and his customs. I, I, I like language a lot, and so I like where words come from, and so if you're around here, you hear me say, well, this word means that, and da 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 and, and the word regular uh, comes from the, the Latin word regula, which means a rule or a, a practice, a, a rule of thumb, if you will. Or you maybe you've heard someone say, well, my, my rule is that fill in the blank. And this is why Jesus did this. Listen, listen very carefully, okay? I'm coaching you here. It's because what you repeat defines you, whatever you repeat ends up defining the kind of person that you are. What you repeat defines you. If you repeat eating donuts every day, (laughs) the shape of donuts will define your shape. I love the shape of donuts, (laughs) but it will define you, right? (laughs) If you work out uh, five days a week, it will end up defining you. The, The solidity of the weights will end up being the solidity of your body. That will be It will define you. If you work all of the time and you have a work ethic, that work ethic ends up defining you because you repeat it over and over again. Or uh, if you practice an instrument, if it's a a musical instrument or your voice, uh, you begin to see things in terms of music. Whatever you repeat defines you. Uh, So we're looking at the life of Jesus and we're saying, okay, what are the things that define Jesus? What are his customs, his habits? And so... We looked at how Jesus read and applied scripture and he knew it so well that he had it memorized and that became how he thought about things and his perspective on life and um, the filter that he passed everything through is the scriptures, even so much so that when he was in moments when he didn't have access to the scriptures, he was able to quote it. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted. He's in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness for 40 days, Matthew says, fasting. And At the end of that, the tempter comes to him, and the tempter says in Matthew chapter 4, uh, if you're the son of God, let these stones become bread. Now, notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered. W- what? What's the words in yellow right there? It is written. In other words, he didn't have The Bible around him, he didn't have Google to Google. Now, what does the Bible say? I'm going to Google that. He he knew because it was his practice. It was his custom to read and devour and apply the Scriptures. And then he quotes there a, a phrase from the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus practiced the presence of God. He knew that this was a God-soaked world. He knew that there was no place that you could go, no circumstance you could go through, however terrible, however horrible, however devastating, that God was not already there. We just aren't always aware of that. Jesus knew that this is a God-soaked world, and we can live in it, and we can practice the presence of God, we learned about a couple weeks ago, that Brother Lawrence told us, and you can pick the book up that he wrote about that. I like how uh, Elizabeth Browning said it. She said, "Earth crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest just sit around and pluck blackberries. <laughs> he, Jesus knew that this was a God-soaked existence, and then Jesus had a habit of serving people. He would jump up to meet people's needs. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is, uh, a, a man with leprosy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I, I want you to heal me now. You, you've got to understand that anyone with leprosy in that day was literally untouchable. They were, they were literally sent outside the city gates. They would be a leper colony, and you wouldn't touch them. No one would interact with them. They had to shout unclean, unclean when they came near, so they didn't contaminate anyone because of the religious codes that everyone lived under. And very intentionally, Matthew says something about what Jesus did. Because Jesus' practice was to serve people, to meet them at the points of their needs. And so Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, records it this way. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. That's not an unintentional word. Matthew's saying this was just his custom. This is just how he operated. So his whole life was a set of repeated practices. and, And it's because what you repeat defines you. So it's worth asking the question of yourself, what am I regularly repeating? How is it defining me? Uh, then if I could coach you, um, I would coach you on, okay, how do we begin to actually access this, access the life of Jesus? And so and let me offer you just a little bit of coaching on the mindset that you need to have. Um, then I want to give you a, an important thing that you need to note along the way. And then we're going to talk real practically, and you're going to walk out of here with a plan, if, if you're ready to do it, uh, to begin Intentionally following Jesus. So, what's what's the mindset? Let me let me give you some some uh, thoughts on this. Here's the mindset I think you need to have if you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to put into practice what He said. You need to think like an athlete. Now, for some of you, being an athlete is in your distant past, and you still think of yourself as an athlete, though you cannot move as an athlete. Do not deceive yourself. Do not be deceived. The body cannot be mocked. Uh, you still think of yourself in a, as an athlete, and so, but you know when you look back, you know, that's what an athlete did, and you know that it was an, an athlete is all about the training that they put themselves through. An athlete knows that it is worthless to show up on game day, not train, and try really hard. An athlete knows that's worthless. It's all about the training. It's all about the preparation so that on the game day, on the time that you have a test, that that's when you see the results of the lifestyle that you've ordered for yourself so that you become a person who trains. See, we think when we see, especially a professional athlete, we think it's all about gifting, and it definitely is. You know, they're genetic. If you've ever seen an NFL player in person or an NBA player in person, they're like a human freak. I mean, they're just enormous. So there's some natural gifting, but if they didn't put in the practice day after day and order their life around training, they would never succeed on game day. It doesn't matter how gifted they are. See, we think it's all about the gifting and the, what they try. No, no, no. An athlete trains. They don't try. They train. And, and they don't look for the best reward for, they say, well, here's my plan, and, and I want a cookie for getting, having the best plan. The plan doesn't matter. It's the, what the plan does to you so that you get the results on, on game day and so that when the test comes, you get the right result. Now, this is how the Apostle Paul wrote about it. He wrote about this in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament, one of his letters. This is what he says, Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Uh, my all-time favorite picture from the Summer Olympics a couple years ago is of Usain Bolt winning the 100-meter dash, and we've got a picture of it. <laughs> I totally <laughs> love this. All these guys are like, oh, I'm going to hurt him. And he's like, ha 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 ha. Uh, massively gifted, but he put in the work to win. He was in it to win it. He was in it to get everything that was coming to him from his training regimen. Question for you Are you in it to win it? Are you in it to say, I don't want to leave anything on the table that God has to offer me. I don't want to leave any kind of character development on the table. I don't want to leave any change or transformation that God has available to me. I don't want to leave any of the grace and goodness that God has for me. I don't leave any of that on the table. I want to win it all. And you have to take, Paul says, the attitude of an athlete and say, I am in this to win this. So you have to define that win. You have to know what the win is. On Saturday when all those people uh, get here at 8 o'clock and when you, who are unconvinced, have not been convinced that you're going to get here at 8 o'clock on Saturday. The win is not that you finish the race. The win is that there's a child who has clean water. That's the win, right? So the win for you in following Jesus is that, that you would get the life that Jesus says is available to you. You'd get all of it, all the strength and all the confidence and all the character and Why would you leave any of that on the table, right? But Paul says you have to run to win. You have to be in it to win it. Then he goes on, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Here's Usain Bolt after he won that on the podium with his gold medal. The day's coming for Usain Bolt when his knees don't work like they used to, when he stops working out multiple times a week, When he eats too many donuts, (laughs) and when he can no longer run the way he does, And, and the day will come when he will close his eyes in sleep, and he will not wake up, and at that point, that gold medal will mean absolutely nothing to him. He is doing that, beating his body and making it his slave, so he can get a crown that will not last. Paul says, we are doing it for a crown that will last forever, that there's eternal consequences for the life that you and I are going about living. Now, here's a, there's a mistake that people make along the way uh, when they're trying to say, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in training. We think that because God is involved that then God is a, a God who can do anything, and so here's our worst circumstance in our life, and we want God to fix it miraculously because we go, well, God, you don't want me to suffer. You don't want me to hurt. You don't want me to have pain, so why can't you fix this? And many people struggle with a relationship with God because they're waiting for God to zap their circumstances and zap the mess and a, a clean a clean thing but it's a mistaken idea because God is definitely a God of miracles and if I had the time I would tell you stories about how God has done miracles in my life and the lives of people around me but God is also the God of process he's into the journey and he's into the process of developing you into the person that he's always meant for you to be think about it like this did you know that it takes almighty God who spoke the universe into existence It takes almighty God two years to grow a two-year-old child. Have you ever thought about that? God's in the process. This is how Robert Mulholland, the book he wrote, is out at at the table if you want to get it. He said Christians struggle to create the setting in which God can zap them out of their brokenness and into wholeness. But see, when you train, you're, you, you get rid of that, that mindset. You have to shift that mindset. Then he goes on. So I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I discipline it. I, am, I impose a rule upon it, I, I impose a custom, a habit. I make it my slave. So after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says, I'm willing to impose upon myself whatever I need to impose in order to get all of the life that God offers to me. Now, let me me give you some coaching because along the way here, there's some some thought patterns that we engage in that that aren't very helpful and that trip us up. And and this is a very important thing that you need to understand uh, and that I need to understand as we're we're working to follow Jesus. And this is it. This is not all going to happen at once. Uh, God is not going to do everything in your life that he wants to do today. Uh, If on Wednesday... You still struggle with anger. You're not a failure. If in a month, you're like, well, I, you know, if I follow Jesus, I'll be more patient. I'm not very patient right now. And if in a month, you lose your patience, you're not a loser. It doesn't happen all at once. And, and the season of life that you're in really matters. If you're a mom or a dad, and you've got little baby, toddler, pre-K, listen, It is an act of God, a sheer miracle, when you just get to go to the bathroom by yourself. (laughs) The most spiritual thing you could do might be just to lock the door and take a bath. And you don't need to put on yourself, because of the season of life, God understands the season of life you're in, all of this pressure, I gotta be serving other people, and I gotta be doing things to other people, your job at that stage and season of life is just to serve your family really well. That's enough. You don't need to feel guilt or obligation to do more. But by the same token, if you're retired, you've got time to study. You've got time to read. You've got time to have conversations. You could go every day and serve someone in a practical way every day. Because you, guess what? you got the time. I, I can always tell, uh, and we're one of the houses, when you drive through a neighborhood, who the families are that have kids and who the families are that don't. Just by, uh, young kids, by the s- status and state of their lawn. <laughs> right? uh, we bought our house from a couple who was retired and their kids were gone and they planted all these things. I apologize to my neighbors, but my house is a total, my, my, the, the flowers, they're a total, they're weed patch now, right? I don't have time to care for flowers. I got to care for little kids. My wife and I have to figure out how to not pull her hair out, right? But that's a season of life. And when you're retired, you've got the time to invest. That's why it's often the case that I think God just put in us that we need to care for something. And so when people stop caring for children, they then turn to their lawn and their flowers and they care for them. That's beautiful. But you have the time when you're retired to do more care for people and help people. Or if you have a chronic illness, you just have to recognize that God understands the season of life that you're in. And it doesn't happen all at once. And be patient with yourself because God's patient with you. Um, Then here's, here's, let me be practical, let me coach you on the the practice of this. Um, And and here's the tool that I want to offer to you that is a time-tested tool that millions of followers of Jesus have used. It's called a rule of life. Um, A rule of life. And a rule of life is just a a way to say, and hold off on the slides here, guys, uh, what am I going to do every day that's going to put me in God's presence? What am I going to do every week? Uh, What am I going to do each month? And then what am I going to do maybe every quarter or every year that's going to help me order my life so that I can receive everything that God has coming to me. And uh, let, me, let me give you mine, okay? I, this is not perfect. This is just me based on my season of life, uh, and it works for me. And you have to figure out what works for you um, to impose something on your life. And so here's what I do every day. Um, every day I read the Psalms, and I just go through in order. There's no magic to it. I just read the Psalms. You can go ahead and put that slide up, guys. Uh, I read the Psalms uh, in the morning, and I usually use my phone. I have the YouVersion Bible app, and I'll highlight the word that jumps out to me. And it might be, deliver me, Lord. I take refuge in you, O God. And it's just something like that that jumps out at me, and I'll highlight it, and then I'll come back to it multiple times through the day, and that becomes the thing that I pray. Guys, this has been transformative for me. It has made me a better dad and a better husband. It has been transformative for me. And then I'll read uh, just a little bit of a book, uh, a book about following Jesus. I'm reading one by a guy named Richard Rohr called Sacred Fire right now. And then I pause and I just pray. And that becomes the thing that carries me through the day. And then when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I go briefly through my day. God, here's the things that I'm thankful for. Here's the things I wish I'd done better. Here's the things I need forgiveness for. Here's the things that I need your help with tomorrow. And I fall asleep. That's my day. Not rocket science. It's what I do. Uh, every week, um, I do my best to take an actual Sabbath, a day of rest. My, this is the work day for me. And so Friday is my, uh, my day of rest. You can throw that up slide up there, guys. Friday um, is my, my day of rest, and um, then I, I come to worship on Sunday. And this refuels me. And then we have a small group that meets in our home on Sunday nights and just building relationships with people and realizing that I'm not alone and they're not alone. We're in this together. And then I, have, I call it public ministry just because as a pastor, I'm just doing stuff and I'm serving people and helping people. And you may say, well, I could do those other ones maybe, but public ministry, what are you talking about? I don't have that. Yes, you do. It's called work. <laughs> Your work is a ministry. If you change it, see it that way, changes the whole thing. Um, then every month, um, I do several things, and I'm going to remember what they are, because I, I have an afternoon of rest. <laughs> yeah, see, I have to remember. Uh, I have an afternoon of rest once uh, once a month. I take an afternoon, the staff does the whole thing, and does the same thing, and we uh, we will go find something that is rejuvenating to us, and pray and think, and just the time to recharge. And then once a quarter, I have a group of pastors that I get to with a, for a 24-hour period, and we just talk about uh, the pains and difficulties and heartaches and goods and bads of, of what God's called us to do, and then every year we try to take a vacation as a family. This is just, for right now, my rule of life. In two years, that, it might change some. In, if you'd asked me three years ago, it'd be different than it is now. But that's my rule of life. That's just how I've the order I've imposed upon my schedule and my days and my weeks and my months and my years so that I can have access to everything that God said I could have access to. And so I would like to ask you to do the same. And so we're going to practice that. Now, I want you to hear the words of John Wesley. John Wesley is one of my heroes. He lived in the 1700s, a follower of Jesus, um, one of my all-time heroes. Listen to what he says, okay? We've got it on the screen. Oh, begin! Fix some part of every day for private exercises, what I said i do in the morning, some version of that. Whether you like it or no, read and pray daily. It is for your life. There is no other way. I love this phrase. Else you will be a trifler all your days. Call someone a trifler later today. You trifler. Uh, You know, fritter away your life. Do justice to your own soul. Give it time and means to grow. Do not starve yourselves any longer. Begin. Uh, On the side of my house is a uh, a rose bush, and it has nothing to guide it, and uh, it's wild, and it's crazy, And because it has nothing to guide it, it just flops everywhere. And when I walk past it, uh, I've stepped on the flowers before. I've mowed over part of it before because it has no order or structure that has been imposed upon it to make it grow and show all of the beauty and aroma and fragrance that was put into it by its creator But when I take a thing like a trellis that I'm going to do today and I stick it in the ground and I impose an order on the beauty of the bush and I give it a place to grow so that the beauty put into it by its creator and the aroma that God meant for you and I to enjoy from a rose can be enjoyed by anybody who walks by it. But if I refuse the process of imposing order on the bush, its beauty withers and dies on the ground. Do you see the application to your own life? You have to say, okay, God, I'm willing to impose an order on my life so that I can have access to everything that you say. <laughs> I want all the joy and all the peace and all the patience and all the goodness and all the gentleness and all the self. I want to be one of those Jesus-like people. I want to have a Christ-like life. It starts right here, with imposing this order on your life. So when you came in, on your seat there's this little card that says, my rule of life. I'd like you to take that out. Tim is gonna play uh, a song, and I want to. I want you to. I want to ask you in the next two minutes to just write down your first thoughts on what you might do each day, what you might do each week, what you might do each month, and then what you might do on a quarterly or yearly basis. Now, there's two of them on your seat, and the reason is because this first one is is a is a, a beginning start, and you're gonna put down too much, and you're gonna put down more than you can actually accomplish. And, and you're going to share that with someone this week, and then maybe on Wednesday, if you're following that boot camp challenge, if you have that little sheet, you can grab one at the table in the back. If you're following that, the, in the middle of the week, it, it guides you to uh, write another version of it that's maybe more realistic for you, and you're going to share that with somebody. And then I'm going to have you write that down, and then in just a minute, we're going to pray, and we're going to offer these plans to God and ask for his help. So I want you to take two minutes right now. If you need, you need a phone, you're to write on your phone because you don't have access to a pen, do that, uh, but take two minutes Ready, set. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would. And if you're, uh, you're going to begin this process, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that, that piece of paper that represents for you a commitment to yourself and to the God who made you, that you're going to step into a Jesus-like existence. And listen, we understand that we're people of grace, and so um, we're not people of performance. We understand it's the grace of God that motivates us. And so there's lots of grace for you along the way. You can just, it's part of the process of learning. And so, but here's what I want you to do. We're going we're gonna to hold these cards up, these pieces of paper up, and we're going to pray a prayer out loud together. I'm going to guide you in this. You just got to trust me here. And we're going to pray this prayer as an act of commitment to God. I'm committing our plans to the Lord. The, the proverb says, commit your plans to the Lord that you might succeed. So we're going to do that together. So here's what we're going to do. i want to have you pray out loud, repeat after me. You ready? Oh, Lord. Oh Lord. you got to do better than that. Because you just got to mean it, right? God hears it no matter what. But you got, here we go. Ready? Oh, Lord. Oh Lord. We, offer hours, we offer our hours, our days, our, days, our, weeks, our weeks, our months, our, months our, years, our years, and our lives, our lives to, you. to you. Oh, great God. Oh great God. We want... We want a Christ-like life, and we ask for your power to live it. So fill us with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. You are sent now to love God, to love people, to serve people in his name. Uh, Hug someone, tell them you love them. See you next week.